This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hello everyone and welcome to slash home daily for monday may 8th 2023 on today's episode, we're going, to, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writer and Box Office Analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, it's Monday. You were on the podcast, and actually, probably one of the biggest films of the summer. And the question is, is it going to be the biggest film of the summer? We can get to that in just a bit. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 hit theaters this weekend. Uh, how did it do? Um, look, it's, it's admittedly a bit of, you know, there, there's a lot to discuss, but it did well. <laughs> it did well. So the, the, the actual numbers just came in pretty recently. So... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 debuted to $118.4 million domestically. Uh, it was expected to make around 120. So when you're talking about numbers that's big, that big, that's more or less in line with expectations. Uh, that's good. It's not great, but it's good. Uh, Guardians 2 opened to 148, I believe it was, in 2017. So this is significantly lower. However, you need to take into account, you know, the pandemic has changed movie going a lot. Um, the reviews were not quite as strong as, as they were for the previous movie, but it does have an A cinema score. So it's good. Not great. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like it's, it's not, um, it's not like shattering records or anything, but it's good. However, internationally is where things get really good. Um, so it debuted to, uh, a little over 170 million internationally. Uh, and it pretty much overperformed in every single territory it was released in even China. 
Now, that's another point of discussion because in China, Guardians 2 made $100 million overall and I debuted a little over $40. Uh, it debuted to $28 million in China. So as we've talked about many times before, American movies are not playing very well in China as of late, with Avatar being the exception, not the rule. So, you know, but but other pretty much everywhere else, it did really well. So, so it opened... Um, well internationally which is good and again a cinema score suggests good word of mouth it's at an 81 percent on rotten tomatoes so like if you want to compare this to ant-man of the wasp quantumania you know it 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 is doing you know better critically has a better cinema score better chance for legs there's good stuff there the only difference with ant-man is that it opened bigger than the previous two Ant-Man movies on its opening weekend, but it fell off a cliff in the coming weeks. So what's really going to be the determiner here is, you know, how, how are the legs for this? How does it hold? Does it have that gigantic drop off? Does it not? How does it play overseas? You know, there's a lot of stuff there. So, and then, you know, the question everyone's going to ask is, you know, does it end up, you know, (laughs) well, so, so guardians volume two finished with eight sixty three point seven worldwide. Does guardians three get there? I don't know. Um, but you got to keep in mind, it's going to make a lot less in China. It's going to make nothing in Russia because of what's going on. It's not going to, you know, not going to get a release in Ukraine. So, you know, there's certain things it's going to have the Disney plus release. So I don't know that you can necessarily reasonably expect that most of these MCU movies from here on out are going to make what they made before. Um, so, you know, we'll see, but, but I think it's a promising start for sure. Uh, and it's a win that Marvel needed after what happened with Quantumania. It's interesting because judging by film Twitter and like, you know, the critic reviews of, of this film, even though it's, you know, it's 81%, which is certified fresh in Rotten Tomatoes. I, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, I don't want to say negativity because obviously like it seems like people are enjoying it, but it, a lot of critical, a lot of criticism towards this, yes. this film. As opposed, but it seems like the audience, you know, you, you mentioned the cinema score, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, take this with for what, what it's worth. It's like 95% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um, it seems like audiences are liking it a lot more than critics. Yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely the it's the lowest rated of the trilogy critically, but 81% is still good. And again, yeah. that, that audience score is always what matters more. Um, so again, I think it's still like it's positive. It's good. And I think the thing is, you got to look at this movie's really dark and exceptionally bleak compared to the (laughs) other two. So, like, I think that that's probably turning some people off. But I also think that's working for other audience members, like the emotional resonance of it. And the fact that, you know, it doesn't necessarily feel like another paint by numbers movie. It definitely does, you know, take some big swings and does some interesting stuff. And I think that audiences are actually interested in that as opposed to just like more of the same. Um, yeah, I've had so, I've had a lot of friends like ask like you know should I take my kids to this movie and I've no. I've been kind of like no. Well, but but also <laughs> I there was an interesting tweet floating around because people were complaining about that and stuff and I'm like I think for a long time we've sort of been treating PG thirteen as like ah it's fine for five year olds too but like it is PG thirteen for a reason you know and I think that like this movie is very much within the bounds of what a PG thirteen movie can be and and uh, it's just that it's it's a little more tonally aggressive than the previous two so it's a bit of a switch but. Um, I think the thing is the trailers did not adequately depict what you're going to be in for, for some of the dark, cause there were a couple scenes that even me, I was like, Oh my God, you know, there's some really dark stuff in this movie. So yeah, maybe don't take your young kids, but, but, uh, you know, it's still, it's, I think it's going to play well. Yeah. Especially like the animal, uh, cruelty kind of stuff. If you're into, you know, if you, if, 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 if you have a kid that is, 
not ready to see, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I, I probably would wait. Um, right. but the only, the only other thing, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Peter. I was gonna say, but any movie that can get you to cry, like, you know, I feel like Pixar sees the, uh, sees this a lot. Any movie that gets you to cry, I feel like people like audience, it resonates with audiences. And I, yeah. I, I think that's why you see like that high audience scores. But what I'm wondering is like, you know, volume one, uh, had a 3.5 times multiplier domestically. Uh, volume two had 2.7 times, so a little bit less. Uh, but $30 million. Uh, so vo- volume two had $30 million less than the volume uh, one opening and $20 million more than the volume. I, I'm mixing up my words here. Uh, so it's $30 million less than the volume two opening and $20 million more than the volume one opening, if that makes sense. So what do you think this is going to do domestically at the end of the summer? What a good looking question, Peter. Um, so here's the thing. <laughs> I've, I've always been a better analyst than a prognostic. Prognostic. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, um, but so you're looking at that original one, um, you know, finished with two fifteen, uh, three thirty three domestic, and then the second finished with three eighty nine. So the second did a little better, you know, even though it had a much bigger opening. The first one had better legs, um, but it, uh, the first one also opened at the end of August, which benefited it because that September tends to be a slower month. Um, yeah. So that I think that's like you know that's worth accounting. Um, I I would I would I would guess it probably falls closer to the first. So if you if you get let's say because because the one thing we haven't talked about yet is that there's a lot of heavier competition coming down the pipeline. Fast X, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, uh, 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 the Boogeyman, the Little Mermaid. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. So, um, you know, the, the competition is going to be fierce. So that's not helping. I would say if you get a two point five multiplier, that gets you to around three hundred million. Um, I, if you get, if you get closer to that 2.7, you know, you're kind of, uh, that puts you at 318. So yeah, I would say maybe around 320. If I were to I guess mean, three, I think that's what we kind of guessed in our box office predictions. We were saying 300 to 350. Yeah. And I, so I would say it's probably give but again, I think what you're going to see though, is probably, it seems like those international numbers to me are going to come in really nice yeah so i think right now you know uh guardians 2 did 479 internationally um you know i i mean you know you could easily get uh i think you could easily see it get close to that maybe 450 internationally so i mean that would lead you to a nice little you know nice little healthy run there we'll see i'm not i'm not saying for sure but i think that that's where you're going to see volume three do its best work so do we still think this is going to be the biggest film of the summer? I don't know. It really depends. I mean, I still, I, I think, I think, I think the fact that critic word was good. And I think that word of mouth was good. I, I still, I, I think into the spider verse might have a shot because you got to look you now. One thing we're talking about is Chris Pat just beat Chris Pratt at the box office. Cause super Mario bros <laughs> slipped to second in its fifth weekend at 1.15 billion worldwide now. So I think the thing is what you're seeing with into across the Spider Verse is that animation is doing gangbusters big business, and that will be the next big animated movie following Super Mario Bros. So, I, by I'm the way, speak, to feel really... speak, 
Speaking of which, Jacob Paul, our editor, uh, he he wrote on Twitter, there are two major movies in theaters right now starring Chris Pratt that feature no sleep till Brooklyn and key scenes that you <laughs> and this useless information belongs to all of us now. I thought that was funny. Uh, one of those needle drops is better than the other one. And that is all I will say. Uh, yes. The one thing I will say about Guardians 3 is that there was a scene in that movie that I've been a little, everyone who listens to this podcast probably knows I've been a little disappointed with a lot of superhero movies as of late. Guardians 3 gave me that superhero movie feeling I haven't had in a little while. And it is during the needle drop in question. And I just love that scene so much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, but, but anyway, circling back to the business at hand here, I'm starting to feel very bullish on across the Sparta, across the Spider-Verse. Not that I wasn't before, but I'm feeling more bullish on it. What do you mean? Like, as in, I think across the Spider-Verse is going to do bigger business than I think we thought, because if you oh, couple yeah. the, the, the audience is being hungry with, for animated movies with the whole, I think that movie's got the John Wick to John Wick chapter two thing where like, I think the second one, the second one was always going to do better than the first. Um, yeah. So I think I, I'm starting to think that movie's going to do really well. <laughs> well, I, I, um, for the summer movie wager over at the film cast, I actually put uh Spider-Man across the uh, spider verse at number two, <laughs> which everybody was that- laughing at me. Everybody was laughing at me. And I think even when I talked to you, Ryan, you, you didn't think it was going to be that high, but I was like, I, 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 I have a feeling. I was like, I had a feeling that something was happening here. And it now the early projections for that movie, uh, I forget where they came from, but I think they're saying that it could do over a hundred million opening. Yeah. And right now, so 80 just to, to give you an idea, into the Spider-Verse did 190 domestic in its whole run, but I think the sequel is set up to do much better than that. And so, you know, yeah. I, I don't think you I don't think you're too I, I don't know, man. I would get again, I'm not prognosticating is not my thing, but I would guess you're not too <laughs> far off the mark there. Yeah. Um you wrote an article for the site uh, just just seconds before we went onto the podcast about how this is the the win that Marvel needed after Quantum Mania. Uh, but what comes next? Uh, do you have anything to say about that article? I think the big thing is that, again, this is this looks good for Marvel right now. But I think the thing is that, like, you got to look at those second and third weekends are so important. And as we just talked about, the competition is going to be fierce. So it's a matter of how well does it hold in the face to something like Fast X with Fast and Furious being a, being a franchise that travels very well overseas. You know, so yeah. where we're talking about Guardians 3 just had a really good, strong overseas debut. But does Fast X take that thunder in a week and a half? That's the real question. And so I think, you know, that's what we got to look for. That's what we got to see. You know, a question I've had about Guardians of the Galaxy uh, for a while now, since we had uh, Avengers Endgame. So, you know, in uh, Infinity War Endgame, uh, you know, spoiler alert for the those movies who hasn't seen those movies at this point but uh you know gamora dies and is replaced with an alternate timeline gamora and i've I've been wondering for years since i was like you know how did that come about did james gunn go to the russo brothers and be like you know i'd like to set this thing up with an alternate Gamora or did he get blindsided with that because he had written a Guardians of the Galaxy volume three I think even before Endgame came out oh well before well before he Gunn has said many times that the core script has not changed very much 
um, like the core story he wanted to tell largely stayed the same. Yeah, so no no spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 here, so don't worry about that. But we now have an answer of how this whole killing Gamora came off, or actually how it didn't come off. Tell us about it, Ryan. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously James Gunn was doing a ton of press in the lead up to the release of Volume 3, and he was talking to comicbook.com, and he explained that he had kind of planned to kill Gamora in Volume 2. Uh, so what he said is, Things always change and you never know, but Gamora almost died in volume two. I knew from the beginning that Zoe only wanted to play the character for so many years, and she's been very honest saying that she's done after volume three. And so I was going to have her die. I thought she was the one that was going to sacrifice herself and Quill was going to learn about himself as opposed to in the second movie. And I thought different of it. Uh, speaking a little further, he said it was I was kind of. By, talked by, out of by it the like, way, uh, a spoiler alert for Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. Okay, okay go well, I think we're six years past. I think we're okay. Um, I was kind of talked out of it by Kevin Feige and uh, uh, Louis D'Esposito. Um, uh, and then it uh, uh, it just didn't work out that well. It didn't feel right. It felt much more right to go where we go in that movie. That's uh, That seemed what was correct for the story. I think at the time I was afraid of killing Michael Rooker because he's my friend. So I felt bad about killing Rooker, who plays Yondu, uh, and I didn't want to do that. But um, that was where the story naturally progressed to. So a lot of things that I was planning on dealing with, I dealt with through what the Russos did, which uh, they called me up and said, we're thinking about this. Does this work? Can you work with this? And I went, yeah, I really can. And I think it works really well for the third movie. So essentially, there was a lot of communication between Gunn and the Russo brothers. Well, Affinity War and Endgame were coming together and, and Gunn was able to take what they did and work it into his script. It's interesting because, you know, obviously Zoe wants out, you know, she didn't want to, I mean, putting on that paint must be a real pain every single day, um, all that makeup, but, um, you know, it's, it's not a role that she wants to continue for a long time. And they kind of gave her an out in, in those movies, but then reintroduced an alternate timeline Gamora for James Gunn to kind of deal with. And uh, I don't know, it's it's interesting because she kind of had her out, but then didn't have her out. I really wonder what that original Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was, though. Because, I mean, that changes things up dramatically, her relationship. It seems, my strong suspicion is that for for some reason or another, um, Quill and Gamora would have broken up anyway. And I think the thing yeah. is that he would have had them break up. And so I think that yeah. I think that probably this just took it to a to a to a bigger extreme. But I but my guess is that because because that's the thing is if that wasn't going to be the case, then Gunn would have had to rewrite the entire script, probably. But but yeah. I think that um so that would be my guess. That would be my that would be my guess. I'm not sure, but we, we might learn more in the coming weeks. But you know, yeah, I I think it, I think it worked. I think what he did with it works really well. Again, I don't want to spoil anything, but there yeah. was maybe like an easy way out and he did not take the easy way out. 100%. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, including star Wars and the writers strike, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great. But having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Okay, so Ben has already kind of talked a little bit about the writer's strike last week, so I'm not going to go over oh, you know, the whole thing if you listen to that for the kind of cliff notes of what's going on with the writer's strike. But the thing I want to talk about is obviously, you know, as this writer's, writer's strike progresses, we're going to see a lot of productions uh, being halted um, because not only – obviously the, the, the stuff that is coming out this year is already done and the writers have already done their jobs uh, mostly – on the stuff that's coming out in 2023. If you look at like, you know, late night TV, you know, the writers being gone, that hurts them. SNL. Um, uh, you're going to start seeing once we get into the fall season of TV, maybe things are going to start to shift and that's where we're uh, audiences are really going to start to feel it. I think, but anyways, um, on, on the site, we have a whole updated list of the projects that are being affected by the writer strike so far, you know, I mean, blade at uh, Marvel is one of the big ones. Abbott elementary season three, uh, Cobra Kai season six, evil season four, a lot of TV hack season three, Season two, Saturday Night Live, as I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Stranger Things season five. I think this is something that people don't realize is like, uh, you know, Matt and Ross Duffer, the Duffer brothers took to Twitter and they, they explained, uh, uh, quote, writing does not stop when fil- filming begins. While we're excited to start production with our amazing cast and crew, it's not possible during the strike. We hope a fair deal is re- reached as soon as we can all get back to work until then over and out. So I, I think a lot of people think that a script is written, a film goes into production, writers are no longer needed, but writers are usually on set. Uh, there's many things being done during the production of a film or TV show that requires writers. On the other hand, Andor has its uh, entire script was finished right before uh, a few days before the writer strike. So that is going to continue, even though um, Tony Gilroy is kind of in the interesting position of being the writer and also the producer of the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess he's not going to be doing his writing duties. The things are already written and he's not going to change them. 
but he's going to continue on with this producing duties. Yeah, so anyways, I think that's what. Yeah, that's what's crazy because some of these shows, like Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, was really close to like. I think that like they're going to try to push through without writers, and there were a couple other shows that are going to do that. But yeah, what people don't realize is that like writing is a constant, pro- especially because as you're in production on something stuff changes day to day. So you might have to adjust the pages you're doing that day because uh, you're running out of time, lighting, weather conditions, this and that. So you have to adjust on the fly to make it work. So, you know, not having, if you're going to press forward with the production without the ability to write or change anything, you know, it's, it's risky. And, and yeah, so I think that's, that's rough. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think some of these productions that are pushing through, it's going to be tough. And I think you saw that during the last writer strike, like a lot of people have brought up, you know, Quantum of Solace, which was the follow up to Casino Royale, which was pretty much written on the fly by Daniel Craig and the director because they kind of didn't have a script. And, you know, I, I've come to sort of enjoy that movie as Casino Royale 1.5, but it is clearly not as good as its predecessor. So I think, and like Transformers Revenge of the Fallen was another movie that sort of got hampered by the writer <laughs> strike. And, and, and so that, you know, there's stuff that, um, I don't know. It, I, I, but yeah, as this drags on, you know, Blade is a movie that has had a really hard time getting off the ground here. And like, you know, halting that before production was supposed to, you know, take place again is rough. <laughs> and, and I think that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you, you, viewers are going to feel this. There's no question they won't. And, and you know, it, it depends how long it goes on is really how bad they feel it. Well, that's the big question, I think, is like how long is this registry going to go on? The one in 2007, 2008 lasted 100 days. Uh, the longest strike, which happened in the late 80s, 1988, lasted 153 days. So uh, it seems like industry analysts think that this is going to be longer than the 2007, 2008 eight strike which could put it at you know possibly going as long as near half a year and if that happens it's going to be very detrimental to to <laughs> 2024 i guess in movies and tv um i don't know i i just hope I, we've gone over this before i mean obviously we are writers so we re- so we support the writers. Uh, we want to see a deal be made for for them to be able to make a living wage. Uh, it's, it's it's just a matter of like how many how many deal points are the studios going to be willing to give in on, and how long is it going to take to get to that point? I don't know. The studios, meanwhile, are losing a lot of money and value as this goes on. Like people, I think Collider wrote about you know the the industry lost something like $10 billion in value due to the stock drops because of the writer's strike. And now that's obviously a volatile situation and that fluctuates, but it's one indicator of like, look, your company's not going to do well without these writers. And, you know, I'm with you. I don't know. Cause it's right now, it seems like the studios just aren't willing to give an inch on, you know, a lot of this stuff. And I just don't, I, I I think the thing is the studios are just so unwilling to budge on that AI thing. I think that they just see the cheap content in the future as a result of that. And I think they're really unwilling to surrender that. And so the I think AI that's thing be- is interesting because I think that AI is an interesting tool that 
is going to be used in some way in the future of making movies and TV. That doesn't mean rewriting writers and stuff like that and, and replacing writers. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But like, I, I do understand why studios don't want to put it in there that we're never going to use AI because that could be an interesting tool to that could be used. Yeah, but. I, I, I get it. I get not wanting to take it off the table entirely, but I also completely understand like see Robert Cargill who, you know, co-wrote the original Dr. Strange and stuff like that. He's taught, he's given several interviews on the idea that, you know, AI right now, what it is, it's taking everything that already exists that is written and sort of like rearranging it into new things. So basically one of the big sticking points is that a lot of writers don't want their material to be able to feed AI. And I think that's actually a reasonable you know, thing. So I don't know. Um, it, it, but that's the one I think yeah. ab- above all else where I think like the sticking points are going to get really rough. And and I just don't know. I think this is going to last a long time as well. And well, the other big sticking point is like, you know, writers don't get residuals anymore because these streaming companies are not reselling their, the shows and stuff to other companies. And because of that, they, you know, they, they, they don't want to release the figures of how many people are watching these shows and stuff and thus you know there are no residuals which is like the thing that like helps them making earning a living wage in the past it's kind of like dissolved into nothing for those Uh, who don't know residuals in like it it, what it used to be in the old days of tv is you would write on a show and like let's say you wrote an wrote an episode of a show well every time that show aired or was sold somewhere else you would get you know a percentage uh some sort of negotiated number pennies but pennies add up then he's at up over time for sure. And the thing is like, especially so what used to be the big thing was syndication. If your show hit a hundred episodes, you could go into major syndication and be sold to another network so they could broadcast those episodes and reruns. And that's where the writers make a lot of their money. So if you wrote a few episodes of friends, for example, you to this day are making good money. Um, so, but yeah, the stre- streaming has upended a lot of that. So what happens is like you see with these movies, what's happening is movie stars are getting paid all of their money up front because they know there's going to be no residuals. So that's why some of these budgets for these direct to streaming movies are so massive because everyone's getting paid up front and TV gets trickier that way. So essentially they're trying to make TV cheaper without paying people out later. Yeah. And I I think so far the studios have been kind of been like, you know, what if we give you a percentage increase to write the, you know, the projects Instead of they don't want to give up the numbers, they don't want to like make public how many people are watching these shows. Um, it's not in their interest. I don't know. It, it, I feel I feel like that's going to be the biggest sticking point, uh, other than AI. Uh, how how they're going to come to a conclusion? I don't know. It's going to be really hard because I feel like uh, it, the other thing that worries me, Ryan, is that we're entering a recession, and. Uh, it makes me worried that like maybe the studios are like this is a good way to like save some money, you know we could, let's ride this out because you know production shut down like it 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 cuts their costs quite a bit. Well, yeah, but you it know? also cuts into their future profits badly. Don't yeah. I I I don't know how true that is because I think that's the big thing is that this is gonna for every day this stretches on that's that's future profits lost in some way. Yeah. Okay, uh, there's two more stories I wanted to talk about today. One of them involves the future of D.C. We have a new president president of D.C. Uh, Ryan, tell us about that and how is that going to affect the whole D.C.U.? 
Yeah, so um, uh, this broke late last week. Uh, Jim Lee, the legendary comic book artist who, uh, for anyone who's read comics over the last 30 years, probably needs no introduction, uh, has been uh, promoted to president of DC Comics. Um, he previously served as chief creative, chief creative officer and publisher, and that was already a huge deal because very rarely do like artists and writers end up, particularly artists, end up getting like executive positions at these companies. But, but yeah, Jim Lee now uh, president, uh, in addition to that. So look, a lot of people don't read the comics. They watch the other media, but here's the thing. Um, in Lee's position, he is quote, leads creative efforts to integrate DC's publishing portfolio of characters and stories across all media. That means movies, TV shows, video games, all that, Lee is helping to integrate those characters and storylines into that stuff. And as we've talked about, James Gunn and Peter Safran are now the heads of DC Studios. They are doing a reboot of the DC Universe, and their big thing is everything shares a multiverse. So, movies, TVs, games, all of that. And the other thing is that is important is Gunn has been huge about wanting people to read the comics and has been very good about highlighting the very specific comics that are influencing the movies coming out, the shows coming out, and everything else. And that has led to huge sales on Amazon. Most of the books he's highlighted have topped the bestseller list, if not sold out. So he's made it very clear that he's going to work with closely with the publishing side as this all unfolds. Now, he has no control over DC Comics, but he's going to work very closely with Jim Lee. Make no mistake about that. On Twitter last year, he said there is very open communication with the DC Comics folks. And he also said, as everyone knows, I'm a huge comic book fan and I hope everything we do will lead to more people reading DC Comics and vice versa. But Peter and I are not in charge of the comics, just all film DC Entertainment. But that statement makes it very clear that he is not ignoring the comics and he wants to highlight the comics more. So, you know, to me, Jim Lee being president means he now is going to have some direct communication with the future of the DC universe and will be a part of this. So I think it's a big deal and I think it's worth people, you know, paying attention to. And more importantly, I think what's great is that you now the guy in charge of DC Studios is a big proponent of the comics. And I, and I love that he's highlighting that stuff and getting more people to read it. Yeah, any anybody that's read any DC for the last what 30 40 years knows Jim Lee and I I'm glad that he's now in this this role. He's uh I mean, if you've ever talked to Jim Lee or seen him talk at any of the conventions or whatever, he's a very smart guy and he knows um he knows a lot about the DC universe, and I'm, I'm glad that he's in this position. Anyways, uh, we have one more thing to talk about, and I know we're running out of time, so I'm, I'm going to transition over to that. Uh, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy uh, has recently said or, or kind of revealed what she hopes to be the release plan for future Star Wars movies. So she was uh, asked by Empire during Star Wars Celebration – uh about what they're looking to do and says i've I've often brought up james bond there's every three or four years and there wasn't this pressure to feel like you have you had to have a movie every year i feel that was very important to star wars we have to eventize this so ryan what (laughs) this worries me because, you know, as someone who loves Star Wars, wants to see more Star Wars movies, 
but every three to four years, that seems like a long time in between Star Wars movies. It does. Um, I think three years would be a lot better than four. But I think even on that timeline, I would prefer her to say two to three years. Only, only because you already have three movies that are in development that they seem very committed to making. And yeah. so if you're only doing that every three years, let's say. So let's say, so you right now you have one on the calendar for 2025. So let's say next one comes out 2028, next one 2031. What happens if you want to make a sequel to one of those? Yeah. You know, what happens? The thing the that other? bothers so I, me about this is like Hollywood is taking the wrong lessons from what happened with Star Wars. Like Marvel has no problem eventizing their. Well, I guess maybe you could you could argue uh, recently in the last year or two when they yeah, uh, but you're talking about a company that was putting stuff. out. But you're talking about a company that was putting out three to four movies a year plus three to four shows. They way oversaturated. Star Wars is never going to hit that saturation point. Oh, I'm not saying they are, but I'm just saying that they were able to eventize at two to three movies a year. I, I don't see why like it needs to be two to three a movie every two to three or I guess she's. But I think you. Four. But I think you could conceivably do a Star Wars movie every two years, which would make more sense. And then like and then like have the shows in between, and it'd still be able to eventize those movies every two years, and and be able. <laughs> so I think two years makes more sense to me. I don't think I don't annually know. for Star Wars is ever going to happen again. And I think that would run the risk of being too much. But I think every two years makes a lot more sense. I hope we can get back to an annually and then maybe even accelerate from there. Hey, by the way, it seems like, and you're saying a TV show in between that, it seems like to, to me that they're doing a TV show every year or maybe even two a year. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, one or, so that's what I'm saying. You have the TV shows in between and maybe a movie every two years. I think that's what I'd like to see. And I think that's what's <sighs> probably going to hopefully be closer to happening. I think that three to four years is insane. I don't know that, I don't know that Disney is agreeing to that. Like, yeah. I know that's what she's saying. I don't think Bob Iger is like, yeah, every three to four years for one of our biggest franchises. That sounds good. I don't think that's at all what Bob Iger wants. Yeah. I, I think Bob Iger wants every year, but <laughs> no, it, it, it just worries me. It worries me about the future of Star Wars. I, I know we're getting a lot of Star Wars. We're getting more hours of Star Wars a year than we've ever gotten because of the TV shows. And I, I am very thankful of that. I don't want to sound uh, like any of these uh, negative Nancys out there. But um, I don't know. I, I just love Star seeing Star Wars on the big screen. And I, I wish we could go back to that in some some way. But uh, it, I don't know. It, it's like they've announced how many movies uh, in addition to the three that like were uh, announced as Star Wars Celebration. It's like if they're doing every two years even, Ryan, like we're not going to get to the, the movies that have been announced that are supposedly still in development for like 20 years at that point. Maybe. Well, so, OK, every let's say you go every two years, you get one in 2025, one in 2027. Yeah. One in 2029. That gets you through the three that have been announced. But you also have Taika Waititi's movie. Not everything that's been announced is going to happen. That's I yeah. think the three. It's I think the three that were announced as Star Wars Celebration because those were ones actually Lucasfilm actually formally announced. I think those are the three they're really going to try to go with. I don't know if Taika's movie actually happens. Kevin Feige's movie is obviously probably not happening. So then I think you just go from there. But we'll see. What else do we have? I mean, obviously we have the TV shows, and we, you know, have Andor. We have Skeleton Crew, The Acolyte. Um, 
I'm trying to think what else other than I mean Ahsoka. Um, if you do a second season of that, yeah. So the, you have the Mandalorian movie, you have the Dawn of the Jedi movie, you have the new Jedi Order movie. Those are the three you mentioned. The Taiko TT movie. So that's uh, four. You have a Sean Le- Levy movie, right? Like that's still in development, as far as we know. As far as we know. And then you have a supposed uh, Ryan Johnson Star Wars trilogy, which I still don't think that's never happening. People (laughs) need to stop pretending like there's even a chance that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's five movies in in development, not including the Ryan Johnson thing. So I don't don't know, Ryan. Uh, I'm with uh, you. But again, I would wager money that maybe two of those in development aren't going to happen. And then. And then, you know, I think that you sort of you're you by the time Filoni's movie comes out, you're kind of approaching the end of the Mandoverse in some way. So, like, you you might, you know, set some different live action shows up. And I would also think because Bad Batch is ending, you're probably going to have a new animated show announced at some point. But uh, we'll see. I'll say this much, Ryan. You are a very smart man, so I think you were probably on 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 the. Uh, you're probably right about all that. Okay. Anyways, uh, we've reached the end of today's slash film daily. You can uh, find more of all of our work at slash You can find this podcast every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, send us your feedback questions comments concerns show us at peter and please rate and read this podcast on apple podcast tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.